The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Well, good morning again to those who do not know me. My name is Nick Kidwell. I am senior pastor of Valley Creek Church, and we are so glad that you all have joined with us this morning. We are a little bummed about the rain, but we do have... uh, a lot of fun things planned for inside, and there's a lot of food that you all have brought and contributed, so we're going to be able to enjoy um, one another's company. So if you are a guest with us today, uh, or anyone attending, we invite you all to stay and enjoy um, the barbecue that we have. So Dan's going to go out, Dan McKetty's going to go out and start grilling some burgers and dogs. we got a lot of stuff um, to eat, and then at the end of the service, I'm going to give a few other details about some of the things going on, but we still have some fun stuff planned, even though we're going to be inside. Um, To our guests and visitors, if this is your first time with us, we are so glad that you have chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, We are eager to get to know you, and so we invite you to stop by our welcome table downstairs to the right when you walk in Fellowship Hall, uh, where we'd like to get some information to you, and we would love a chance to just get to know you as well. We also have a few gifts there, some gift cards to local establishments you can choose from, uh, some book resources if you're interested, you can take as well. So please stop by. We'd love to get to meet you. And please, the barbecue and the food is for you as well. So stay uh, and enjoy that and the activities. Uh, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward now. Church, uh, as usual, uh, you know you can give online through the hub or through the offering baskets. And there is an offering box in the back. To our guests and visitors, please do not feel any obligation to give. I am so thankful to you, church, for the ways that you steward all that God has given you. Uh, It is a blessing to us, and it makes things like a a barbecue and an outreach event event possible. So thank you for your your generosity and faithfulness to give to the Lord. Um, There aren't really any other announcements I'm going to make specifically for uh, this week. Um, again, apart from the barbecue, which we will give more information about in a minute, and we're going to be giving, I'm going to be giving some further information about our bridge course, which is an exploration of the Christian faith, introduction to the Christian faith. I'm going to give a little information about that uh, in a few minutes as well. So, uh, normally Luke does announcements for us. He was pulled into something else, so I'm going to transition now into our message um, as Jeff prayed, you see I'm still here and Happy's still here, so Baby Watch 2023 is still underway, we're under a week, next Saturday's the due date. If she had gone into labor, you would have had Jim Donahue this morning from our our last church, so sorry to disappoint, you got me. (laughs) Um, But just to give a little uh, detail, I have have told you, so because with the baby coming, I will be out of the pulpit for the next three weeks. Um, However, though I'm going to take concentrated time off for about a week or so, I will still be working. So if you need something, if if you need me, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I'm I'm still pastoring. (laughs) Um, And thank you all for your prayers and concerns for us. I really appreciated people checking in and just your excitement for uh, this coming little one. Uh, And again, to our guests and visitors, we're so glad... Uh, that you have joined us. As you'll hear in the sermon today, we aren't a church full of perfect people, but of people who recognize their neediness and their need of a Savior. 
I hope that this morning you feel blessed not just by the friendly faces and warm greetings, but you are blessed by uh, singing to the Lord, blessed by the Word of God as it is preached, and I pray that you do encounter the living God of the universe who is eager to interact with you, which now we get to do that through the preaching and declaration of His Word. As a church, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew together. Matthew is one of the four Gospels in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've had the privilege of learning much through Matthew about who Jesus is and what that means for us. And most recently, we've been in a series about the mission that Jesus sends us on to make His name known and to see people experience the joy of being a part of his kingdom. But this morning we're going to jump a little bit out of order and fast forward to the end of Matthew chapter 11 where we see Jesus make an offer to us. An offer to ease our burden and lighten our load, which as we will see involves many things. And as I was preparing for this, the one area and aspect of that burden that just struck me so significantly is how he frees us from the weight of self-sufficiency, of personal performance, of self-righteousness, and that being a basis for our hope, that being a basis for our peace, our performance. We live in a world of social media, of likes and so on. Literally, people can give us thumbs up and stars and ratings all of the time. That's the world that we live in. We buy products. We look for things from a one to five scale. We want to know what's the best. We are striving ourselves to be a five-star person. And whether we realize it or not, all of us are caught in this endless cycle of achievement-based thinking. Each and every philosophy, each and every worldview, each and every religion on this earth, apart from one which we're going to talk about today, places their base at human performance. To the secular, agnostic, and spiritual, but not religious, there's a striving to be a good person, to to be true to oneself, to be on the right side of history, to keep up with terms, causes, and current trends, knowing what to say and how to say it and when. Virtue signaling is all a part of this. To the Muslim, there's the push to do enough good in this life, that that your good will outweigh the bad so that you've earned a right to enter into paradise when you die. To many Hindus and Buddhists, what you do in this life will determine who or what you will come back to be in the next Each and every one of the systems we are surrounded by invites us to earn our way to the good life, to salvation, to happiness, to self-actualization. Living in the United States, we are deeply entrenched in our ability to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, to work, to earn. All of these philosophies teach that. Again, that is everyone except one. There is one worldview which offers something utterly different. One man who offers us something much greater than anything else that we can strive after. And one hope 
that can set us free from the hamster wheel of self-achievement and futile toil. And if it's not already obvious since you have walked into a Christian church, that one man is Jesus Christ and that one worldview is Christianity. At Valley Creek, we are a community of people who have come to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we have experienced the great freedom that he offers us. And we are excited to share that freedom and that hope with others. So please turn with me now, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. We will be reading verses 25 to 30, but we will be giving particular focus to verses 28 through 30 this morning. And I always like to pray before we read God's Word and before we get into the sermon because we need God's help to understand Him and to understand His Word. So pray with me now, if you would. Father, thank You that You offer us a great hope. I pray this morning that we would feel that hope that You have given us. Lord, thank You that You offer us rest from futile toil. And I pray this morning that we would receive your rest and feel your rest. Be with me now as I seek to make your words plain. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your words, your very words, that we can know you and know who you are. Be with us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God. This is the word of the Lord. I can only imagine that there are Many people in this room, likely all of us who read this statement, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And you think, yes, yes, Lord. Even if you don't believe in God or Jesus Christ, I'm certain that you have and possibly do feel tired this morning. You've you've felt burdens, you've felt weariness, you have heaviness in this life, burdens that you would love for someone to take off of your shoulders And that is the hope that we get to rejoice in together this morning, the reality that there is one who offers us rest and peace. But before we look at the specifics of verses 28 to 30, where Jesus makes this offer to us to come and receive rest, I want to point out two quick realities from verses 25 to 27 that are presuppositions that will underpin the rest of our discussion this morning. First, God exists. And not just any God, but the God of the Bible. The rest and peace that we will talk about this morning can come from nothing or no one else in the universe. We sang about this in some of the songs this 
this morning. No karma, no good vibes, no, no personal self-esteem can provide what we need. The Father that Jesus refers to here is God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who has no parallel and no equal. We exist for His glory, and knowing Him is the greatest joy that we can ever experience. So that's the first thing. Second thing, the only way to know this God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. I was speaking yesterday with a friend who used to believe in a different God, and when confronted with the claims of Christianity, they realized they had a decision to make. Both couldn't be right. Truth is not our own making contrary to popular belief. Truth exists outside of ourselves. The world existed long before we did. And we don't enter into the world to reshape it into our own making, but we enter into the world and we must be students who are eager to learn what is true and what is right. And as we see here, Jesus tells us that no one knows the Son, that's Him, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now, there's some deep realities here about God's initiative with us. God is the initiator with us, and there's then a responsibility for us to respond, and Jeff actually is going to wade into this with us deeper the end of next month. But for now, it suffice to say, if we want to know the truth, if we want to know who God is, then we must come to know His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says elsewhere in the Scriptures, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if if you're curious how someone could make such an audacious statement, I encourage you to go back and listen on our website to the sermons we've been preaching through in Matthew. Matthew helps us see that Jesus is truly the Son of God, one with God Himself, that He is unlike any other human being who's ever walked this earth, and that He came to bring us salvation that makes a way for us to be with God again. We're going to talk about that more fully in just a minute. I know that the exclusivity of Jesus Christ can be a stumbling block for some, but the reality is anything that you believe is an exclusive claim. If you believe there's no God, it's to the exclusion of all other gods. If you believe all gods are real, it's to the exclusion of monotheistic claims. There's no way to escape the fact that truth is not an endless pile of Play-Doh that can be worked and, and reworked however we want it to be. Truth is real. And what I hope you, to, you see this morning is that Jesus Christ is in fact the way, the truth, and the life. That there is nothing more true nothing more fulfilling or more certain in this world than He is. And so with these two realities, that the God of the Bible exists and that Jesus is the only way to know Him, laying the groundwork for our understanding, we will take the rest of our time to look at verses 28 to 30 and discuss this statement. God invites us to come to Him humbly and receive His rest. God invites us to come to Him humbly and receive His rest. A statement that I pray encourages us all this morning and hopefully gives rest for the first time to some. So first, God invites us to come to Him. As we said, there is a God. In 1802, William Paley wrote in his book, 
Now, get the title of this book. They didn't, they didn't, in 1802, they didn't care about short, quippy phrases or what sells. Natural theology or evidences of the existence and attributes of the deity collected from the appearances of nature. That's, that's the title of the book. He writes, in crossing a, this is what he says, in crossing a heath, supposed I pitched my foot against a stone and were asked how the stone came to be there. I might possibly answer that for anything I knew to the contrary, it had laid there forever. But suppose I found a watch upon the ground. I should hardly think of the answer I had before given, that for anything I knew, the watch might always have been there. There must have existed at some time and at some place or other an artificer or artificers who formed the watch, who comprehended its construction and designed its use. Paley then says, every manifestation of design which existed in the watch exists in the works of nature. With the difference on the side of nature of being greater or more and that in a degree which exceeds all computation. Essentially, if you find a watch in the woods, you know someone built it. Watches don't just appear. It can't just build itself. And the complexities, the infinite complexities that in degree exceed all computation that we find in the world around us Scream that there is a wise and intelligent designer behind it all. It is in fact only the only and most natural assumption of all that we see. That's why most people, even the most ardent believers in evolutionary theory or anti-supernatural materialism, cannot escape using the words of design and purpose when describing nature. In fact, there's some who believe in evolutionary theory and see that it, it's so complicated that someone had to be behind that itself. And even the most adamant among their supports do concede that there is an appearance of design in the world, if not an actual designer behind it all. And because of that, because it is plain to our eyes, most people in the world do rightly conclude that there's a higher power. There's a great being or force behind all that we see. Scripture says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So mankind is without excuse. Now, some look at all this and think, sure, there's a design, sure, there's a creator, or there's some higher power, but, but whoever that is cannot be known. He's like a watchmaker who made that thing, wound it up, and then walked away. That is simply not the case. God has revealed himself to us in nature. In all that he's made, we live inside the watch that's lying in the woods. And the only explanation for all that is around us is that someone has made it. But that someone did not simply create and then walk away. From the very beginning of his creation, God intended that we would know him. 
He designed it that we would be with Him, enjoying Him forever and reflecting Him out in the world, living in perfect step with Him, walking in the holiness and the purity of His character. However, despite being given unending peace and goodness, mankind made the decision to reject that and rebel. This is what Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. They chose to listen to themselves and to the enemy rather than to God, and they were cast out of God's presence. No more could we have unbroken peace with God. No more could we see His presence as we once did. No more would we experience a world without sickness, death, disease, and pain. However, even from that first moment, God did not shut off communication. He spoke to men and women over the centuries. And we firmly believe here at Valley Creek that the Bible is a written record of the very words of God, preserved over time, given to us that we might know Him, know who He is, know what He's like, know what He intends for us. And what we see throughout the scriptures is that he intends to make a way for us to be with him again despite our rebellion. And that way, as we have already said, the way to be with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says here, come to me and I will give you rest, he's making a statement of incredible significance. Only God is the one who can give us rest. When Jesus says, come to me, he's saying, come to me, for I am your God. There is a God. He is your creator. He knows the number of the very hairs on your head, and he desires that you would be in intimate fellowship with him again. We're told in the scriptures that God is love. God's not some stodgy old man sitting up in the clouds with his arms crossed and a a, a constant furrowed brow. We see here Jesus say that he's gentle and lowly in spirit. This means that though Jesus is majestic, though he is powerful beyond compare, though he commands the very stars in their course, he humbles himself so that we might be able to approach him without fear. Yes, he must judge sin. Yes, he rebukes the Pharisees and those who reject him throughout the scriptures that they might know their folly and be saved. Yet despite his role as judge, he still stands with arms open wide to any and all who would approach him, even though all of us are guilty at one time or another of rejecting him. He invites us to come. And Jesus, as we know, hung, dying on the cross, When he did, he didn't shout curses and obscenities, wagging his finger. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had compassion. Church, this God has welcomed us. He didn't have to, but he has. He is gracious. He is generous. And if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love. And if you're here and you've never been quite sure what you think about God or or if you've never been sure how to or if you should approach him, here this morning he exists. 
And he desires for you to be with him. He wants to welcome you into his family with arms open wide. But the only way for us to approach him is to come humbly. So let's talk now about the second part of our statement. God invites us to come to him humbly. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. In verse 25, Jesus also said in speaking about the truths of his kingdom, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. When Jesus says that these things are hidden from the wise and understanding, he's not saying that wise people can't know God. It's explicitly stated in Scripture that knowing God is the beginning of all wisdom, that that we are to be wise in the Lord. What he's saying is that the kingdom is hidden from the self-wise, from the self-important, from the self-exalting, from the self-righteous, and revealed to little children, again, not just little kids, but those who have a disposition of learner, of recognizing their humble and lowly estate. A few months ago, we read in a passage from Matthew, Jesus say, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When most people are asked on a scale from one to 10 how good they are, most people give themselves a six or a seven. Reasoning goes, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that guy over there. I mean, I've never killed anybody. The problem is that all of us apart from the grace of God, are actually below a one. We compare ourselves against each other, but the true standard of goodness is God and God alone. And the story, uh, as we read this story, we see, as as we read about what Jesus has said, we see that he calls us to recognize our weaknesses. We try and keep our ratings and our scores as close to a perfect as we can, but it will always eventually come to light that we aren't perfect. If we want to approach God, we have to be aware of our need. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, none of us deserves to be with God in his perfection. And because of the sin that has entered this world, all of us experience the heavy burden and pain that sin brings. If you experience pain or hardship or sadness in any form, know it is because of the curse of sin that has entered this world. It's not the way it was meant to be. We experience the consequences of our own sin, the painfulness of sin at large, and even the weight of trying to hide and cover our sin and keep up appearances. Well, in order for us to approach Jesus, to come to him, we have to acknowledge all of these things. We have to acknowledge that we're not perfect. Acknowledge that we are much more of a one star than we are a five We have to acknowledge that we cannot save the world's problems and that we need help. We have to acknowledge that no matter how hard we might try, we could never earn our way or right standing before him. The scriptures are full of stories of men and women who failed time and time and time and time again. It's a very honest book in seeking to walk rightly before God. Everyone failed but one, Jesus Christ. I remember... 
being very affected by one of the final lines in the film, The Help, if you've ever seen that. It's, it's set in the 1960s during the civil rights era. Some southern black women serve as housekeepers to some, some young white families. Many of these young white women are vicious and petty, certainly prejudiced not only to their maids, but to everyone around them. And one of the girls, Hilly, she's the ringleader of them all. And at the end of the movie, she is out of her mind angry, and she's threatening to make a false accusation and call the police on one of these black maids, Abilene. And Abilene looks at Hilly. Abilene herself is exhausted from this endless persecution she has faced and from all of the bigotry that she has faced. And she says to her, all you do is scare and lie to get what you want. You are a godless woman, Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? And though most of us aren't outright as detestable as Hilly Holbrook is in this movie, the sentiment has stuck with me of the weariness of sin and the brokenness of the world. Jesus says to us, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're at the end of your rope, if you're sick of being on the hamster wheel, Come to me. Some of us are exhausted from our own sin, from spinning our wheels, from wasting our efforts, from feeling guilt and the after effects of deceit, of anger, of manipulation, of jealousy, of sexual impropriety, of addiction, and so on. I can hear Jesus say, aren't you tired? Come to me. Many of the people Jesus was speaking to were exhausted from the heavy burdens placed on them by the religious leaders. Pharisees and the scribes had constructed systems of religious observance that had gone outside the bounds of what God had said, putting rules and restrictions on the backs of the Jewish people that God never intended for them, pushing them to find their peace through their own self-performance. Society even does this to us. I'm only 35, but I've seen so many theories and fads and causes of the day come and go each one telling you they're right, each one telling you you must devote yourself to them or you'll be cast out in society's eyes. What it means to be a good person seems to change about every five minutes. It can be exhausting. Exhaustion can come from the pain we experience and the futility of our labor. We wash our car and later that day it storms. We put in new carpet and soda spills on it. You go to work only to return the next day with seemingly an unending pile of to-dos. There's futility often in our labor. Exhaustion comes in hearing unwanted medical diagnosis, losing loved ones, reading headlines of another shooting, of another war, of another storm. If we are to approach God, if we are to take up Jesus' offer to come to Him, we have to acknowledge that we need Him. We have to acknowledge that we are broken, that this world is broken, and that He is the only one who can fix it. And when we do this, when we approach Him in humility, He gives us rest. But just what is this rest? For one thing, we know right here from the passage that rest does not mean the absence of any kind of work. A yoke, as you likely know, was a beam placed across the neck of a a beast of labor or sometimes even a man that they could haul or carry heavy materials. A yoke is a burden. It it represents hard work and, and labor. So why then doesn't Jesus just say, and I will cast the yoke off of you? 
Why does he say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says this because the reality is we aren't called out of the burden and toil under the weight of our sin to an eternity of immobility and sloth. Our conclusion to recognizing our brokenness and our fallenness is not meant to be, all right, well, I'm just going to do me and keep going on along the way that things have always been. When Jesus beckons us to come, he doesn't say, accept that you're sinful and just embrace who you are, you be you. He says, come to me, and by taking on my yoke, I will free you. I will free you from self-performance. We have rest from feeling like we need to justify ourselves and prove to others why we're good enough or smart enough or righteous enough. We don't have to carry around the burden of wondering if we've done enough good deeds to make our way to heaven. I remember one time sitting down with a pastor friend, and this was only maybe five or six years ago, and I've known the Lord for much longer than that. And over time, I had felt more and more burdened. And far from feeling peace in Christ, I felt very heavy and very taxed. And I said to him, I know that Christ says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I believe he's not lying. I believe that to be true, but it does not feel that way. Feels like the yoke is hard and the burden is heavy. And my friend, being the wonderful counselor that he is, poked into my thoughts And helped me see corners of my heart where I was still striving to earn that five-star rating. If I heard the enemy whisper in my ear, you don't love God enough, or you failed in this way, or you failed in that way, I would try and rationalize and I would try and comfort myself by proving that I did love God and, and running through the ways that I hadn't failed. And that produced a lot of anxiety within me. With my friend's help, I saw that I didn't have to prove to myself I was good enough. I could say, you're right, I don't love God enough, and I have failed in this way and that, but that is what makes Jesus Christ so wonderful, because His blood covers my sins and my weaknesses. Though I knew Jesus and believed that He died for my sins, I was acting like His sacrifice was not sufficient. I had to do something else. The only thing we have to do to be made right before God is to acknowledge that we have sinned and ask for forgiveness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We must believe that Christ is the Son of God and that He died for us. That is what saves us and that is a very easy yoke, that yoke of faith. He carries it. But then this rest doesn't mean, though, that we don't strive to honor Him and be conformed to his image. Christ says our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees, and from the outside, the Pharisees were very righteous people. The Sermon on the Mount shows how followers of Christ ought to live. We don't go on sinning just because we've been forgiven. However, now, as we seek to honor God in what we do, there's a lightness and an ease of burden because we know, as it says in 1 John, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
We are freed to pursue God now knowing that our weaknesses are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are free from the condemnation of sin and the accusations of the enemy. We're no longer having to walk on eggshells wondering if we're doing enough or proving ourselves enough. And if that weren't all enough, that rest that Christ offers us from condemnation and guilt, he also offers us rest from all the other effects of this sin-sick world. And Christ, our toil and our labor, is never in vain. I always think it a bit odd for the materialist who does not believe in any kind of supernatural or spiritual world who thinks this material realm is all there is, for the materialist who fights hard against climate change. In their worldview, it it will all burn in the end. Whether today or a million years from now, it's all meaningless and will all be destroyed. Eventually, the sun, they say, will explode and consume the earth. Why not let it do so now? Well, they don't act in line with that because such thinking is so hopeless. And they don't want to be without hope, even if that hopelessness is consistent with their worldview. In Christ, none of our moments are futile. God gives meaning to all things. And we know that any of our efforts made in this life to honor Him and to seek Him not only aren't pointless, but we are told that we will even be rewarded in this life and in the one to come. Even the pains and the hardships in this life, which we will, we will experience them, He uses for His eternal and glorious purposes for our good. He gives us rest from meaningless toil, from that feeling of banging our head against the wall with no effect. God gives meaning to everything. He also gives us rest from our enemies. There's a day coming when sin and Satan and all of those who persist in rejection of God will forever be cast out of God's presence. And though I pray that is not true or has to be true of anyone, that they would be cast out of God's presence. What that does mean, though, is that those who trust in Christ will one day enter into eternal peace with God, no longer to experience any sin, no longer to face any death, no longer to feel any pain or illness or have any need for any kind of fear. You will never have to fear again, wondering what's around the corner or down the dark alley. You don't have to be afraid. We will still work, we'll have tasks to do, but we won't ever stub our toe or injure ourselves. We won't see our works crumble and fade. Our work will no longer be by the sweat of our brow, but will be done with unending and unceasing joy. I don't know what that's like. We can't imagine it, but it's possible. And God promises it to us. To summarize all of these things is to say that the rest he calls us to is rest in him. Rest in trusting in His righteousness. Rest in trusting that His ways are best. Rest in letting Him be God. Letting Him call the shots and experiencing all of the joy and all of the fruit 
that comes from that. If there's one thing I hope you walk away with this morning, it's that God desires, God desires to give you this rest. God wishes that no one would perish, but that all would come to saving faith through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you are here and you have accepted Christ, live in the goodness of that reality. Meditate on these truths that God has called you, the God of the universe has called you, He has humbled you by His grace, that you might know Him and He meets and fulfills all of your weaknesses and all your insufficiencies and He covers all of your sins and He has given you rest. Don't be like I was. Though I'd been given this rest, I kept working as if I didn't have it. Live in that rest. We have a glorious Savior. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, I invite you today to consider Him. He offers you this rest. It can be hard for us to see and acknowledge our need, especially if we think we are a five-star person. But believe me, there is a peace that surpasses understanding that we receive once we do. And if you have any questions about anything you've heard, please do not hesitate to ask. Ultimately, we desire that all people would experience the love of this gentle and lowly Savior who came to earth to take our sin upon himself that we might have forgiveness and experience the hope and the rest that he offers us from this broken world. Let's pray. Church, let's pray together and thank God for what he has given us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us alone. We thank you that you have initiated with us. We thank you, God, that you have made a way. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ came and modeled humility for us. Though he was perfect, though he is one with you, God himself, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross for our sake. Help us to follow in that path of humility that we might recognize our needs and our infirmities and our weaknesses and that we would receive grace and strength and help in time of need. Help us to acknowledge our sin and repent and turn from it that we might receive the grace and forgiveness that Jesus Christ gives. And I pray for any here who are afraid, afraid to put their whole body into Christ who are afraid to take that step, who are afraid to entrust all things to him, Lord, I pray that you would break any bonds, set captives free, and that you would help people to enter into the joy of his rest this morning. Thank you, Father God, for your gracious will. Thank you that you have loved us and you have sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We pray all of these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.